Hello, listeners. Before diving into today's episode, I wanted to share a few ways you can go deeper with the ideas I talk about in this podcast and support my work. The first is my book, The Pathless Path, which many of you have probably already heard about, but if you haven't purchased it already, I really think you'll love it. The second is The Pathless Path Community, which I just opened up as a one-time pay-what-feels-right access fee. And in that group, you can meet hundreds of other people from around the world on unconventional paths like me. Finally, I'm working on a second book tentatively called Good Work, which is going to explore my deeper relationship with work and how that led to a lot of the transformations in my life. You can follow along in my newsletter, Pathless, which you can also find a link to that in the show notes if you want to learn more about that. Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Welcome to the Boundless Podcast. I'm Paul Millard, and I created this podcast because I'm passionate about making sense of the future of work and having conversations with the innovators, creators, and thought leaders who are carving their path in today's fast-changing world. You can check out the podcast and more on BoundlessPod.com. Today, I talk with Tom Critchlow who I think is really representative of a lot of the people I'm meeting out here in the freelance world. He has a diverse array of interests. He's a writer. He's a creator. He's passionate about art. He's co-founded an art collective in Brooklyn. And also is just figuring out his path and journey in the consulting world and shares a lot of his learnings and insights with you. He's written a lot of interesting pieces on what it takes to be a freelance consultant and how to think about culture and consulting to a company. I'll link up to some of those articles and we'll dive into them in the podcast. I also, again, just want to thank uh, people for continuing to support me. I'm having so much fun telling the stories of people like Tom and doing the podcast. It's been a learning experience for me and... I'd love if you could share the podcast, uh, retweet, share it on Facebook, add a review on iTunes, like it. And if you want to continue to support this and the work I'm doing, feel free to check out why I'm here on Patreon, which you can check out in the show notes. Tom, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So first off, I just want to thank you. I think you do an incredible job of telling your own story. I've stumbled upon a couple of things you've written, which we'll dig into later. But I also just resonate with your story as somebody that has many diverse curiosities. So you describe yourself in your bio, and you you have the personal mantra of move, think, create. I'd love to start there and just ask you, what does that mean to you? Uh, it's a good question. Until you asked the question, you, you sent me an email kind of notes with that question outlined. And actually, I hadn't thought about that mantra for a little while. Um, I've had it for a couple of years now, just as a personal mantra. It's on my website. But um, I think for me, it really sums up the balancing of like an intellectual curiosity about the world. Like I always want to just be passionate about stuff. I always want to ask questions. I always want to try and think differently than other people about things and really question my own uh, insights. Uh, I want to have creativity in the things that I do. So I always want to challenge myself to be putting things out there in the world. And and the move piece in particular is specifically, I think, around uh, it's kind of a, a personal reminder to both have work-life balance and also to just physically move. You know, I think uh, like many of us, we sit in front of a computer 17 hours a day right. and wiggle our fingers and it's a good reminder that getting the blood pumping and uh getting out for a walk playing basketball going swimming you know just being active is um is an incredible thing for the mind and the soul so uh yeah it's been a personal mantra for a little while now um i think it it actually i, I think there's a fourth piece which I, I need to add in there somewhere around um compassion or family there's kind of a like it, it comes across right now a little bit as too personal. And, and actually there is a fourth kind of component to my own life, which is, is just kind of, I want to make sure that I have time for my family. I want to make sure that I have time for, uh, for friends and for others, um, in there. So it's a little bit self-serving right now. Uh, but, but, you know, I found it useful over the years just to guide when I get stuck in a rut, just, just kind of remind myself to move, think, create, put something out there in the world, challenge yeah. an assumption or just get the blood pumping. Awesome. So it's move, think, create compassion now. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think maybe it's not quite as catchy that way. I need to think of a of a catchy way to do a four step, but but that's the one. Yeah. Awesome. Have and thinking differently. Have have you always been wired that way? I think so, and I'm not quite sure where it comes from. I think I've always enjoyed uh, both looking up to people who are contrarian, and somehow I've always gravitated to people who've been on the fringes a little bit. Growing up in high school, I played a lot of role playing games. So I was definitely one of the kind of geeks at the the fringe of uh, of high school culture, um, and I think I've always that's kind of stuck with me. I think as a as a way to live outside slightly of of the norms. Uh, not that you know, I'm sure there's more I could do to challenge some of my own assumptions as well. But uh, I think yeah, I've always been drawn to that to, to people that try to think differently. Um, I'm a big fan of Venkatesh Rao's blog Ribbon Farm and uh, the way he he kind of organizes everything around refactored perception. I think there's something really right. gratifying and rewarding about having one of your assumptions cha- challenged or having one of your mental models kind of upended. There's something super powerful about that. Yeah, definitely resonate with that. I've uh, really enjoyed his writing as well. It's it's the kind of writing that just makes you think in a way you wouldn't even think of. It, right. uh, I've definitely read some of his stuff, and it's kind of blown my brain open and uh, yeah. forced me to th- look at things in new ways. I'll, I'll link up to that in uh, the show notes. Would love to dive in. So you have a lot of things you're passionate about you write your consulting you um have you're the co-founder of a brooklyn art collective how do you manage so many different curiosities and how do you describe yourself uh when you're introducing yourself these days Uh, it's a great question uh introducing myself and describing what i do is usually a meandering long conversation of things um the, the easiest way to describe what I do is uh, I do digital strategy consulting. That's kind of certainly from a revenue generating standpoint, the the main thing. Um, as far as the curiosities I have and interests, uh, you know, art is definitely um, uh, high up there. Um, you know, I run an art business with my partner, Aaron. Uh, we, we started that about four years ago now. Um, and then I also just, you know, I, I like to be widely read and I try and be curious about all kinds of things. Uh, so there's lots of interests come and go. One of the downsides, I think, of having lots of interests is that uh, there's many interests I've had over the years that I haven't pursued so deeply, right? You, you kind of, um, right. I think you have to come to terms with being okay at going into lots of lots of things in a, in a kind of shallow surface level um, function and then you know thinking about or um, stumbling upon the things that you do care more deeply about that stick with you for many years uh, so I, I think you know it's interesting when you read a lot of like um, productivity writing or the kind of shallow startup advice there's a lot of talk about you know focus and hustle and these other things where um, sometimes I like to think that I'm okay with just kind of swimming through a diverse set of interests and some of them will stick and some of them won't. I'll pick some things up and then abandon them. Um, and that's okay. You know, uh, right. I think, you know, not to say that I don't also have deep interests in certain sectors, but I think there's kind of a, a willing willingness and, you know, a, a kind of being comfortable with letting these interests kind of wash over you. Um, and you, it's also, you know, uh, you read those kind of books about creativity and, and creativity is, is in essence is nothing more than just, diverse connections between different fields and different people. And yeah. so I think that's one of the things that I love about, you know, getting interested in architecture for a couple of months, like uh, read a book about architecture and follow up on that a little bit and then move on to something else. And um, I love that because then one day that'll come back around and I'll pick something up from, you know, learning about architecture that I'll be like, Oh, you know what? That's uh, an analogy to this field or that person who was a famous architect, you know, I read a little bit about them and now uh, there's a thing over here that I can apply that to. So I kind of, I kind of enjoyed that, you know, diverse connection making. Yeah. I love that. I, I have a similar reaction to those pieces. It says focus on one thing and do it uh, for a really long time. And uh, it just doesn't seem to align with how life is actually lived, right? You're going to be, right. people are naturally curious about what's around them. Right. Yeah. And I, I think also, uh, Venkatesh again has a, a great piece about this, but, um, many startup founders, um, are in the very classical sense of the word psychopaths. <laughs> right, right. Right. They get obsessed with that one idea. Yeah. Like in an unhealthy way, in, in many ways. Um, obviously we're stereotyping, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of the quote unquote advice is not aimed at most people. Um, 
but it's still perfectly possible to build a business or do something you love or whatever without, you know, relentlessly focusing on something 19 hours a day for 10 years. Right. Yeah. So I've been really interested about that idea of pursuing a bunch of different things, but being almost strategic around quitting. How Mm -hmm. have you thought about and has that evolved as you've gotten older thinking about, okay, explore this, but like if it's not working or energizing me doing, uh, moving on to that next thing. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, there's certainly a, a kind of a, a large archive of both failed and abandoned projects uh, that I've that I've done in my personal life um, and in my professional life, I guess. One of the things that has been really useful for me, so when I, when I was younger, I think I used to want everything to be a business. All of my side projects had to be revenue generating or at least have some path to revenue right. generating. And one of the things that was really freeing for me was thinking of side projects as discrete projects rather than ongoing time investments, right? So rather than saying, I'm going to build a community for book lovers, which is one of the projects I had many years ago. Uh, you know, that's a big time commitment over a long period of time uh, to build a community around book lovers. You, you know, you need to build it and then you need to create a community and then you need to keep investing in the community on an ongoing basis. Uh, now, that might be a good thing and it might be something I want to do. But is there something I can do which is more of a one off project um, to still scratch the same itch? And right. that's a better place to start i think right so could i um create a resource for book lovers which would be more of a standalone thing would not require an ongoing investment for five years um and it still scratches the itch of shipping something out in the world having a project etc etc um and the thing that really i think one of the breakthroughs i had was that even if it is a project or a standalone thing rather than ongoing venture creating a naming and kind of um, uh, creating an edge to the thing, like creating a container for it is still really powerful and getting it launched and getting the idea out there. And so I think, you know, it's not about, um, it's not about necessarily all projects have to be revenue generating and it's about almost being wary of future time commitments to yourself, right? It's easy when you get carried away with a new idea to to imagine launching it and it being successful. Um, But is there a way to do a side project which scratches the same itch has a good like position in the world, like either, whether that's a name, identity, or uh, domain name or whatever. And then can you use that to, if it takes off, and if you are still excited about it, and if you think that it's a long-term thing that you want to invest in, you can, can you can keep going. But uh, it, it it is not by design a big kind of investment of your own time over a long period of time. Yeah, it has that optionality. Yeah, I've I've personally found uh, I've done several things that have gone nowhere or failed but then you have this almost magical alignment of those skills you learned on that project that you get to apply on projects that might actually go some somewhere further yeah for sure so i'd love to shift to how you're thinking about positioning yourself in as a consultant i read an article you wrote where you had rethought how you're positioning yourself so i think you started out and you had positioned yourself as a brand and then shifted it back to as a personal brand. What made you make that transition and how are you thinking about it today? Uh, it's a great question. So there was a, I think it, there was a number of emotional things kind of wrapped up together for me in, you know, I, I'd been out on my own for maybe two years and had been doing my consulting work and it's just me. So I don't have any employees and I felt like I was missing upside by doing it under my own name, right? By being TomCritchlow.com as the website I had. And when somebody, when I send an invoice, it comes from Tom Critchlow. Right. Um, that felt like I was being a little bit amateur somehow and that I was leaving money on the table by not presenting myself as like a bigger, more grown up agency or organization kind of entity. Um, I had friends that do very similar things to me and, uh, you know, they would have a name for their kind of agency or consulting practice, um, right. like a brand name. And that seems to be working well for them. And I thought, you know what, maybe I should do the same. And so I, uh, went into the well and I, um, did a bunch of kind of thinking and, um, experimenting. And I came up with this positioning and brand and name called yes. And which was, um, kind of a, a, a riff on, um, uh, improv, uh, kind of stand up, um, 
playing right. where there's this kind of game where you, you know somebody says something and you can only build upon it you can't you can't shoot it down with a with a no you have to you have to say yes and then you have to say and and you have to extend the idea and i think there's a wonderful analogy to um that improv nature and also kind of business consulting and you know i'm also uh frankly i'm usually quite a positive individual so i felt like i also brought a positive spin to business and positive spin to strategy that reflected in the name I really liked it. I came up with a visual identity, a website, et cetera. And I got very close to launching and kind of going all in on it. And it was a couple of kind of crucial conversations with some close friends of mine that ultimately persuaded me that it wasn't quite right and that I should be better served continuing under Tom Critchlow. I think the core reasons were that actually the thing that people are hiring is not an agency or entity. It's me. Um, you know, and that I'm the one who does all the work. I don't have any employees. I don't have any staff. You know, when you, when you work with me, you're working with me directly and that that's a strength, not a weakness. You know, the compare, the alternative of working with an agency or working with a bigger organization, um, is that you don't get that experience, right? And so I should lean into the fact that it is, it is just me and it's kind of, you get all of me. Yeah. You know, including the weird interests and passions and side projects and so on. Um, that I bring all of that to bear when uh, I work on a consulting project. So. Um, I decided to kind of scrap the brand, scrap the, scrap the name. Uh, it's definitely something that I still think about. Um, you know, we talked about Venkatesh, for example. He has his website, Ribbon Farm. You know, would that be the same brand if it was just VenkateshRao.com? Um, you know, maybe, maybe not. You know, it's, it's, there is definitely a power and there is, um, a strength to an idea that has a name. Right. And, and I mean, you know, for example, you, you've got a, a name that you're doing your consulting and podcasts and so on under, um, like, you know, how do you think about it? Yeah. So turn the tables to me. I like it. Uh, so my, my evolution was, uh, so I started a consulting brand and I realized it didn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just kind of a brand that, uh, and I, did that on purpose because I did. I don't think I really knew what it was going to be at the start, and then recently actually shifted to a word boundless, mm-hmm. and have been positioning things around that because it, I've also been shifting some of the work I'm doing around telling stories like this in the podcast and tr- trying to embrace an idea. I think it's very similar to the yes and right. It's it's mm-hmm. an idea I want people to embrace in the world of thinking we're capable of more than we believe. And I also was just doing so many different things under different names, and it, that seemed to be an idea or name that uh, made the most sense. But probably like you, this uh, this will evolve and uh, be a very different answer 12 months from now. Right. But I uh, I think that's just the nature of uh, freelancing. Um, yeah, I mean, the the we have such uh, flexibility to reposition or or uh, change the moves that we're making. Um, I think that's a great name, by the way. I think you know, it's funny when I wrote that article, I was really just kind of, um, in, in some senses, it was just kind of therapy for me because I just put all this work into a new website and a new brand and then abandoned it last minute, and so I kind of wanted <laughs> right. to think about it. Um, but a lot of people did treat it as. Uh, me saying that you should not have a personal a, a brand, right? If you're an individual kind of freelancer or a consultant, and that's absolutely not my point at all. Right. Um, you know, my point was that me at that moment, the brand that I was about to choose was not right. Um, but I think Boundless is a great name, and I think it really does reflect well with what you're doing. Um, so, you know, I think everyone's got to make their own choice there. Well, thank you. Do, do, do you have do you have designs to create to have employees? Do you think uh, at some point? Do you think the name gives you the, the flexibility to scale more? Uh, so yeah, good question. I, I'm not thinking of it in terms of employees. I'm Mm -hmm. thinking much more in terms of how can I bring together more people Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. this idea, less so in terms of building a business or making money and much more around bringing people together and hopefully just creating more positive feedback loops. Right. I brought all my content under that platform more because I want to create more connections with people rather right. than send them to medium and help medium with their business. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I feel so, like there's more and more access yeah. from medium these days, but maybe that's a conversation for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'd but, love to uh, dig into your writing. So you write a lot. I've found for me, writing has been such a great tool to make sense of what I believe and just share my story to the world. So w- what role is writing played uh, in your journey? So I, I just wrote a piece actually, with the, with the title, In the Land of Hierarchy, the Networked Individual is King. 
And I think that that phrase sums up a lot of my experience in my own career, which is that writing, blogging, podcasting, even conference speaking, which I think of in a way, kind of a cute term, but I think of it as network speaking, right? Um, the idea that you create something not as kind of an, a standalone thing, but you create it uh, within and for the network um, has been a really powerful idea and one that I've been involved in for many years but only more recently have really come to fully appreciate the power of um you know back when i was early on in my career i was working at uh, my brother's agency called distilled the small um, seo content strategy agency in the uk and we blogged uh under the company name we would put all kinds of crazy stuff out there and um through the process of doing that through the process of learning how to write for an audience and how to just write full stop and in an engaging way um I gained such incredible opportunities, both career opportunities, um, serendipitous um, kind of interesting introductions, uh, friends that have been lifelong friends. Um, you know, uh, it really kind of helped put the company on the map as well as me personally and professionally. And so it's something that I've really continued and kept up with over the many years. And now uh, that I have my own consulting practice, it is kind of the best outlet that I have for sharing my thinking for connecting right. different people to different ideas and for um, also just kind of scratching that itch of, of creating something, right? Um, it's the easiest way putting words down on the internet that is kind of um, low cost and there's no barrier to entry and I can write whatever I want. Um, it's my own platform. It's my own site. Uh, and I really enjoy that. So you touched on how you started your career. You helped co-found a consultancy with your brother early in your career and then you ended up going to google for a period before you became a freelancer mm -hmm. so getting a taste of and not really following that default path early in your career and then going to a big company like google how did that feel and how did that shape when you decided to finally take the leap to go on your own so i really enjoyed my time at google um i would say that the biggest mistake I made if I made a mistake going to Google was uh, not going in at a more senior or strategic level. Um, now, obviously, that's easier said than done. Um, <laughs> right. yeah. But my point there is that uh, Google, for all of it being a great place to work and you know having a strong culture and so on and so forth, is still a big organization. And big organizations, by default, are resistant to kind of bottom-up ideas, right? Um, they must necessarily be so, otherwise they would be changing you know, 10 times a day. Um, uh, and so I saw that other people that came in, for example, via acquisitions or who came in at a more senior strategic level had more weight, buy-in, access, etc. Um, and so, you know, I learned a lot while I was there. Um, I also bounced around a little bit internally between a few different teams. Um, you know, my background before I came to Google was kind of in consulting, digital strategy, SEO, and I went to work for what was essentially an internal ad agency, which was a very big kind of change of pace, deliberately so. From my, from my perspective, I wanted a change of pace, um, but it meant that I was not, I didn't look much like the other people that I was surrounded with every day. Um, and I think that caused some friction uh, on both sides. You know, I think, I don't think I did a great job on some of the projects that I worked on, but I also think that um, I tried to take an approach which I thought was right in certain situations and uh, kind of butted heads or clashed cultures with some of the management that I was surrounded by. So, I, you know, I bounced around between some different projects and ultimately felt like I wasn't working on anything that I was fully invested in. And so I felt like, you know what, I'm, I'm, too young to retire and just kind of <laughs> walk the halls of Google aimlessly, um, uh, eating the free lunch. So I thought, you know what, I should, I should leave. Um, so I, I kind of set out on my own to do my own consulting thing. Yeah. Well, when was that first moment you thought about going out on your own? Well, when I got my green card, you know, that was kind of uh, a kind of technical limitation that was stopping me just walking out the door. Um, no, but I think, uh, you know, so there was a moment when I was working, um, uh, on the Google Cardboard um, team for a period of time, which is their kind of early virtual reality prototype. Right. And it was a very small team, and it quickly went from a small team to Google building a real dedicated virtual reality team inside Google, which is actually a super fun, rewarding project that I was working on. And I love the people that worked on that project. And uh, they actually wanted me to come work with them, but it involved moving out to San Francisco, um, or more accurately to, uh, to Palo Alto. And, um, I was like, mm, I think I want to stay in New York. 
And so that was kind of the straw that brought the camels back right at the end when I was when I couldn't continue working on that team. And I thought, you know what, now's the time to, to head out. That's great. So I'd love to shift to some of your writing. I think two of the pieces I mentioned at the beginning really stuck out. One was uh, talking about um, becoming an independent freelancer and how people should think about that. We'll dig into that one, but I'd love to start with the going with the grain of a company. I'd love if you could share a little about what that idea means and how you think about it in terms of uh, consulting in your freelance work. Yeah. Um, so the title of the piece was The Consultant's Grain, and there's kind of um, two big concepts wrapped up in that post. So but let me back up for a sec. When I, when, when I do my consulting work, and one of the things that I think is a huge benefit to um, hiring an individual or freelance consultant versus an agency or a more traditional relationship is that I'm going to embed myself in my client's organization um, much more heavily, much more deeply than a traditional agency would be able to or might want to. Right. And, um, you know, for example, I usually get access to Basecamp, to Slack. I get like a company email address. You know, I really want to feel like I'm really under the skin of the company. And the reason for that is that I want to I want to actually affect change at the organization. I don't just want to create a bunch of PowerPoints and reports and have them sit on someone's desk. Um, and so if you're going to actually change an organization, you have to understand their culture. You have to understand why have they not changed these things already? Um, how do they think about changing? Who is responsible for changing? What are the strategic priorities? Um, what have they tried before? Um, you know, what are the biases that the founders of the company have? There's all kinds of these kind of nuanced questions which are not reflected in what you might think of as kind of a traditional strategy uh, roadmap, right? You know, it's very well kind of crunching the numbers or um, doing the technical analysis, but right. um, you have to understand the actual culture of the company. Um, and so when I talk about the consultant's grain, there is a whole set of things that you can try and change a company for, which I say go with the grain of the company. And what I mean by that is these are kind of things that they are already primed to change, things they want to do, things they're already you know, pretty closely able to do or things that they're already investing in. And changing a company with the grain, um, it can still be challenging, but um, is relatively uh, speaking much easier um, than going against the grain. Um, so when you're going with the grain, what I typically recommend is, you know, abandon the um, the polish on your deliverables, move as fast as you can, and actually get to the output um, as, as fast as you can, right? So really, it's about running with the team. You know, it's about saying, how can we just make this project or this idea that you're already invested in or already primed for move as fast as possible, get as good as possible, as quickly as we can, scale as fast as we can? Um, and all of those things basically involve kind of a, a high degree of collaboration with the team. That's kind of, I guess, like 101 uh, consulting theory or management theory. Right. Um, but then the deeper level that I've become much more fascinated with is when you're trying to go against the grain of an organization. And right. what I mean by that is these are things that uh, the organization are not willing to accept, basically. Um, things that they either explicitly or implicitly are not good at doing, don't want to do, don't feel like work, um, or are just kind of structurally unable to execute on. And, um, you know, examples of this might be, um, uh, you know, let's say, for example, I was working with a, a company last year that produces an extremely large amount of content online. Um, and every, all of their workflows, everything they're designed, set up to do is to produce a large amount of content. Now, when I started working with them, I said, you know what, guys, we should create some uh, more deeply thought out researched kind of um, uh, more interesting content um, right. as well as the kind of you know, volume content we and there was a lot of lip service buy-in right like people were like hey, right. no, yeah it sounds like a great idea how do we do it and yet the culture of the organization what and all of the incentive structures the motivations right. team structure Right. And so um, I talk about that as like going against the grain. And when you're trying to go against the grain, I think that you need to be you think you, you, the best analogy I have is thinking like a politician. You have to you have to campaign for change. You have to continually repeat the same message. You have to bring it up in lots of different environments. You have to create um, compelling moments when it makes sense for the organization to make a big leap. You have to uh, think about either a top down and or a bottom-up approach to kind of getting buy-in and support, right? So getting individuals on the front lines invested in your idea, getting executives invested in your idea, 
trying to kind of, um, you know, convince people slowly over time that this is a thing they should do and um, show them examples of what it looks like, um, et cetera, et cetera. I even go as far as talking about um, internal blogging as in, you know, releasing content essentially um, that is designed to win hearts and minds inside the company, whether that's kind of the, the old fashioned memo you can think of it as, or, um, you know, whether it's kind of, uh, you know, posts on their internal base camp or whatever, you know, knowledge management tool they have. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the gist is, is when you're a consultant and you're trying to help a company change, it's really useful. I find to kind of stop and ask yourself, am I trying to get them to change with the grain or against the grain? Um, and then, you know, if you really want to start peeling back the onion, um, at the end of that, uh, article, actually, the, the very premise of that blog post, uh, the consultant's grain is you have to also recognize that you have a particular bias, um, yep, and a particular right. culture. Um, you know, when I start working with a company, I'm going to have a set of ideas that I have about how business should work, about what is quote unquote the right answer for them, what they should be doing. And I have to recognize that not all of those things are right. And I'm going to come with a a kind of a preconceived set of ideas and notions, some of which will be right and some of which will probably be misguided. Right. You know, there are certain things um, that I can draw on from my experience, but I certainly don't know everything there is to know. And uh, companies come in all kinds of weird shapes and sizes. So um, you also have to recognize when you're trying to champion something which is a genuine good idea for the business or whether it's just something that you think is a good idea for the business right. and kind of qu- you know, really deep yeah. question those, those, those. Yeah. And that, that's almost good advice for anyone working at any company. I think I talk to people sometimes at different stages in their career and they may be incredibly talented, but they're not actually in the context that's going to take advantage of those talents. Right. So, uh, and I think as a freelancer, you have to continually think about that because you're, you're not only managing, uh, your business or the work you're, you're managing your time and trying to maximize your energy. Right. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious with the consultants grain, you, uh, you actually spent some time at kind of a big strategy consulting firm before going out on your own. Did you, did you guys ever talk about any of the concepts like this, like the, you know, the culture of an organization and how to work with it or against it? So I, th- I think at the big strategy firms, you do get the advantage of w- what you said. You're deeply embedded uh, mm-hmm. in person on the floor for months. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a lot of what you talk about is building partnerships and those happen. You might be a junior analyst and you're building a partnership with the manager you're working with on the other team. Mm-hmm. And those things happen very one-on-one. I think what part of my reflection and thinking about organizations and organizational change um, as well has just been that we still think of it in terms of something that can be designed and done, right? Mm-hmm. We don't think of, organ- of organizations as living systems that are dynamic and complex. Right. So I almost think there's a fundamental flaw in how uh, strategy consulting firms conceive change. It's seen as, mm-hmm. and it would be the rational thing for them to do, to say, right? They're not going to go into an organization and say, well, change is uh, chaotic and we can't really plan or control it, right? They're getting right. paid to say and think and create uh, frameworks that say, change can be planned, here's what it looks like, and here's how it is conceptually. So mm-hmm. you might have a process or a plan where that's easily laid out and everyone can understand it, but in reality, when the change happens, it's never planned or like that. There's right. always unexpected things. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, definitely resonates, but I, I think we still there's still big ways to go in thinking our, uh, shifting our thinking and how organizations actually operate. We see them as uh, organisms that can be controlled from the top, and that's just uh, fundamentally not true, but we pretend otherwise. Yeah, I'm really, um, really interested about how people like you and I as kind of individuals and freelancers and kind of um, the new way of thinking about consulting can really take that head on and kind of stop pretending that change can or does happen top down. Um, and I'm really curious how you could kind of structure a client relationship or a consulting engagement around the idea of kind of organic messy change, right? Like it's right. a hard sell. There's a reason that the consultant, the consulting <laughs> firms sell it that way because it's easy for everyone to get their head around. And it's also, right. by the way, it's, it's unpalatable to an executive at a company to hire a consultant with the very premise that 
they have limited power to actually change the organization <laughs> right. in the ways they want. Um, so I'm super curious about how we can kind of manage those things. Um, I don't know. Um, there's a guy called Matt Webb, um, who I don't know if you've come across. Um, he used to run a, a kind of an Internet of Things consultancy called Berg in London um, a few years back. And um, he wrote this incredible blog post that really resonates with me about um, consulting in small groups and about how maybe the ultimate power of a consultant is just the idea of bringing the right people into the room and making the right connections, you know, explicitly kind of flipping it on its head from having the ideas and driving the change instead to almost playing like a facilitator role to have the right people in the room, uh, documenting the culture that you see and, or you're being a much more, being a tool for much more organic growth. Um, it's kind of a really interesting, um, concept. I'll send you the link to the blog post so you can put it in the show notes because it really resonated with me. Yeah, that, uh, it's, it's an exciting time. I think part of people's shift to more freelancing almost changes, it forces the organization to think in new ways because they're not just going to hire you to show up and run a report every week, right? right? Uh, employees within an organization, there's all this extra stuff you have to do just to kind of exist as a citizen of that organization and Mm -hmm. bringing someone like a consultant or freelancers, you actually have to start with a problem to be solved. Right. So it almost shifts the organizational thinking, and I'm wondering if uh, organizations that do end up using more and different types of workers are going to be forced to say, what is our uh, problems we're solving rather than how do we maintain the organization? Right, right. There's um there's another interesting point to the consultant's grain that I found in my own work, um, and this is advice that I give to a lot of other kind of freelancers and independent consultants is, it's been really useful for me to have a mixture of what I call soft and hard skills. And what I mean by that is, you know, I have a background in uh, SEO, digital marketing, content strategy. And when clients hire me, it's really, really useful for me to have something that they can pay for that I can work on every single month, which I call, call like hard skills, right? Like the SEO, the marketing, right. content strategy, or I can be have a much more of a tangible output or a tangible input into those projects, uh, which allows me to stick around inside the client's organization long enough that I can do the things <laughs> that are kind of much more messy and organic and right. slow and, and what I call soft skills is kind of the wrong word, but um, you know, I can campaign for change, right? But the only reason they're going to let me stick around long enough to do the campaigning for change is because I have those harder skills, which allow me to kind of, you know, be in projects in the organization for a sustained period of time, which I find is a really interesting balance. And I find that some of the folks that I've some of the kind of peers that I know and I've worked with, had conversations with, they struggle a little bit with client engagements being too short to really get anything to get anywhere because they focus too directly on the soft skills and the, the bigger against the grain change. Right. Uh, having something to kind of pair it with that they can be paid for and stick around for every month. Right. So it's uh, you might go in and say, hey, I'm going to help you with SEO. But once you get in there, you might have a couple ideas here. You've started to learn the culture and suddenly you're building a relationship and helping do things more impactful rather than starting with saying, let's let's transform your organization. And then what I've found as a freelancer, that will often turn into a back and forth over six months around a proposal because nobody mm-hmm. really knows what they're solving for. Right. Um, and you don't ever really get started. Yeah, those messy, undefined projects are really hard to, they're really hard to sell. They're really hard to get buy-in for. They're really hard to price. Um, and also. Yeah, there's infinite of them. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so yeah, so, so I, I find it really useful to have, a, have something which is kind of a, like I said, like a harder skill or a more defined skill, which people can kind of use as an excuse to get me inside the walls of the organization. And, you know, that, I think that could be any, you, you could, Equally, you could think about in all kinds of other ways, right? You could have training as your hard skill, or you could have um, copywriting or web development. Like, there's all kinds right. of other things I think that could replace that kind of SEO additional marketing piece as something more tangible. Um, but I found it really useful to have that mix, and I, I don't know how easy it is to, I don't know how useful that is as advice for somebody else who kind of, you know, might not have those skills readily available to kind of magic them out of thin air. But um, yeah. I find a lot of this is much more about just how you position yourself, and so um, I think that could be useful. Yeah. No, I, I'm thinking of it for myself. I'm trying to think, okay, what are my hard skills and soft skills? And uh, I think that's super useful. So speaking about advice for freelancers, you also wrote about um, what 
independent freelancers should think about and what mm-hmm. are some things they can do for success? Uh, I think three things you mentioned were network, build credibility through content, and do the work. So we so we we've talked about those a little, but I thought one thing that jumped out that definitely resonated with me and people I've talked to that are considering becoming freelancers is that you should really commit to taking t- at least 12 to 18 months and saying I am all in with this. I think mm-hmm. sometimes I've talked with freelancers and they're like, I'm going to try this for three months, but if it doesn't work out, I'm going to take a full-time job. And it, there's not really that 100% all-in buy-in. Um, how, so how do you think about that piece of advice and what would you uh, say to people who are thinking about taking that leap? Well, I, I think I might reframe it slightly differently than you. I don't know if it's crucial to take the all-in leap on being a freelancer yeah i would take the all-in leap on building a network right so i think that the crucial thing for me is that you literally cannot be a a freelance or independent agent without some kind of network at least in my opinion like it just you're going to have such a harder time if you don't have um people that know about you connections you can reach out to a kind of trusted circle of advisors like you know that whole network of individuals doing interesting things in the sphere that you want to get involved in is just crucial for for generating income for getting sales for having the trust etc etc but you can build that independently of being a freelancer right um you know there are many people who successfully have personal profiles and blogs and so on who have full-time jobs um and that is the thing that i would commit to and i think that um you know, if somebody's just starting out freelancing and saying, maybe I'll give it three months, maybe I'll take a full-time job, et cetera, I would say commit to building a network, right? And I mean by that, like, you know, getting a public profile, getting a blog out there, putting putting things out there that resonate with people and make connections and commit to doing that both uh, before, during, and after freelancing, right? So that you're building that sustainable thing because even when you take a full-time job, that's going to be useful for you. Um, and I think that it gives you the freedom and security to jump in and out of freelancing. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough to have a kind of a wide variety of jobs. But, you know, the other thing is um, when you go out on your own as a freelancer, uh, it's really tempting to take a close to full-time job, right? I have a lot of kind of right. friends and people that yeah. I know that they go out freelancing and within the first six months, they'll end up with one client, which is like four days a week, or, you know, five days a week for two weeks a month. Like they find these like close to full time gigs, which, you know, pay well enough and they give them some security of revenue and all these kind of things. And, um, there's nothing about that, which is wrong, right? That's great. If you can find that and land on your feet and enjoy it, then great. What I would say is just because your kind of free time is squeezed a little bit and because you have this kind of one stable thing, um, don't forget that you can keep building your network and you can, you can keep getting the compound benefits of, you know, creating a personal brand, putting yourself out there. Um, and I think that's the thing that I would commit to, to try and, to try and make sure that you're building sustainability for the future, especially because, um, you know, I, I, I grew up in the UK, but, um, existing in the US is the, the kind of hire and fire at will and kind of the fragility of the modern, um, employee, uh, is, especially as a freelancer, you know, you might get a four day a week thing, but right. if you're on 1099, then, you're you're as fragile as a leaf in the wind um, in the scheme of things. And so um, you want to build some kind of resiliency and some kind of backup plan, which is, in my opinion, the network, right? Build that network yeah. and then you can always tap into it and leverage it and use it um, further down the line. Yeah, we definitely have some issues to uh, figure out in terms of the future work here. Yeah. So I would love to shift to some quicker hit questions. Sure. What advice would you give to someone graduating college today? Uh, all the same advice, build a network, um, uh, go work somewhere interesting. That's probably a, g- a good piece of advice is, um, you know, we talk a lot about building a network and putting yourself out there, building a blog, but you can actually drift on the coattails of, uh, being at the right place at the right time. Now you obviously can't know ahead of time where the right place and the right time is going to be. But I think earlier in, earlier in your career, it is, I would encourage people to sacrifice pure revenue or stability in favor of interestingness, like go work at a startup, go work at the company in the blockchain space, or go work at the company in the virtual reality space, the artificial intelligence space, like trying to do something less traditional will set you up better for the future. Um, obviously easier said than done, but right. 
So someone's sitting in their cubicle right now listening to this and thinking about potentially taking a leap years down the road and isn't really sure what to do. What is one small thing they could do today that's going to help them take that leap? I think it would. So there's two things I'm going to say. One is build a network because I'm going to sound like a broken record and it's super important. So stop blogging, put out content. So let's dive into that. You say build a network. What What's like the smallest possible thing they could do either today, tonight or this weekend uh, that helps them do that? When people think about blogging or writing online, I think one of the things that they, that people often overlook, especially when they're kind of getting started is you don't have to write for everyone. And in fact, the internet is an incredible place for connecting, you know, people that have some specific interest or some specific overlap and getting them all to read the same thing. And I think that what I would encourage you to do is, I think you should be having output online, whether that's writing or blogging or podcasting or vlogging or whatever it might be. But think about it as a way to create connection to people you're interested in. So think about people that you respect, um, you know, and when you create stuff online, literally send it to them. And I think this is a step that people overlook often is, you know, people are very approachable, right? If somebody emailed me today and they said, hey, Tom, I read your blog. Uh, I wrote this piece about why I'm not an independent consultant, why I have a nine to five job. And I thought maybe it would resonate with you as a counterpoint. I'd love it if you could read it and share it with your followers. I like, I, I would take the time to read the email, click on the link yeah. and I'd probably share it with my followers. Right. And right. I think that, um, sure, I'm not Seth Godin. I'm not Tim Ferriss. <laughs> I'm not like the most famous person in the world, but I have an audience and a network. Right. And I think that you, people forget that they can just email people. Right. And, and I don't mean like spamming people. I don't mean mass emailing. I just mean like pick the five or 10 people that you really respect or you really like or you, you, you admire their output and create something that you think they'll be interested in and then write a personal email to them and say, Hey, I did the thing. What do you think? Would love any feedback? Would love your advice? Would love your support in sharing it. And that's how you get started. And so I think that's kind of a, a good place to start. The second thing, uh, that comes to mind when you talk about, you know, how do you, someone who's got a glimmer in the eye of going out consulting is, stop and ask yourself, like look around you in your day-to-day work and really, really like self-interrogate on the things about work that turn you on. Like which, which are the, which are the activities or which are the um, moments in the day or which are the types of work where you feel like you light up, right? And is that running a workshop? Is that creating a spreadsheet? Is it solving a big strategy problem? Is it working with other team members? Is it um, project managing a project? Like where, whatever the, the format or type or piece of work is. And then literally just try and do more of that. Just lean into it more and more and try and focus on those things that light you up. And when you can do that and when you start to get clarity around it, that's when I think people are starting to get ready to saying, you know what, I could go do this elsewhere. Um, right. If you can't, if you can't identify a passion like that, if you can't find it, I think you should keep searching for it before you make the leap. Like uh, making the leap to freelance or independent is not going to solve all your problems if you still don't know exactly what you want to do or you still haven't figured some of these things out. You can do a lot of that exploration within a company. You know, you like most companies right. will have opportunities for you to go do education for you to take a course or for you to, to even listen in on other departments activities like go exploring right go adventuring inside the walls of the organization you're in um to try and discover the things that interest you and if you can find those then it becomes much easier to lean into them and to build a business around them yeah i love that question what lights you up what is something recently you've read that's inspired you I'd say two things. Uh, one is there's a book that I'm in the middle of reading right now called Seeing Like a State. Um, and it is exactly about what you mentioned earlier, Paul, about um, the idea that top-down change doesn't work. Um, and it's all about how uh, governments and cities and organizations try and impose top-down change and all of the ways in which it fails. And I just find it deeply fascinating. I think there's tons of kind of analogies to consulting and organizational change that you can apply. Um, I'm still in the middle of reading it, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend to know all the answers yet. But um, I think everyone, I think people on this podcast will get a kick out of that one. Um, the second thing that I read recently, which really had a profound impact on me, was um, a piece on Ribbon Farm. Uh, it wasn't by uh, Venkatesh. I forget exactly who wrote it. I think it was Tyler, um, called The Blockchain Man. Oh, I've read this. Yeah, I think it's Tyler Pearson. 
Yeah, title person, that's it, yeah. Um, and despite the title, it's not actually about the blockchain uh, for those who, who instantly get put off. I mean, it talks about the blockchain, but only as a kind of backdrop or context for the future of work. And when you read the piece, or when I read the piece, what struck me was, you know, we think about the freelancer economy or the fluid nature of work as being a kind of trend for the future of work. And I think it's absolutely true, but the the deep structural ways that will change society are, are as yet unexplored. And when you read, right. you know, he had frames a whole piece around the organizational man or the organization man, which is this kind of piece of fiction from the thirties, I think about, you know, showing up with a briefcase every day and being a member of a, a club and these, the structure in which the nine to five member of a kind of company dictates and influences your life and what the analogies for that might be in the future when we're all freelancers and fluidly working in with and around and for different organizations. And so um, it really inspired me to think about um, what are the other ways in which culture and lifestyle and work and revenue and so on will change as we enter a more and more fluid society. Yeah, I did. I'll link up to that article for sure. That that is one that uh, definitely has me thinking about um, the future of work and what that means for how we uh, build communities and work together, collaborate, and uh, super helpful. I love those. Um, well, it was great talking with you today. We'll have to see if we can uh, get Ribbon Farm to uh, sponsor us. We had enough shout-outs to them. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely come across as a bit of a fanboy today. But um, if you don't know about Ribbon Farm or Venkatesh, then, then you should. Awesome. So where can people find you? Uh, TomCritchlow.com uh, is my website, at TomCritchlow on Twitter. Those are the places I'm most active. Um, my email address is on my website. So uh, any questions anyone wants to follow up, please uh, please reach out. Awesome. And uh, I think Tom's going to be waiting for people to uh, send him articles that might resonate with him. Yeah, for sure. Please, please do. I mean it. Like People think I'm being flippant, but I mean it. Um, I read my email. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. This has been an incredibly fun experiment for me, and I'm loving talking to such incredible guests. I've received some awesome feedback, and I appreciate all the suggestions and just the praise. I'm kind of blown away. Uh, It's just so amazing to have such positive support. I hate asking for further support, but would love if you could share or recommend the podcast to one friend. If you are inclined to support more, I've actually set up a Patreon page, which I am experimenting with and potentially going to release some exclusive content and with the goal of building a community of people who are passionate of making sense of the future of work and enabling people to do work that matters to them. To learn more, you can check that out at bondlesspod.com. Again, thanks for the support. And if you have ideas, questions you want me to answer on a future Q&A podcast, or just suggestions, we'd love to hear them all. Please email me at paul at think-boundless.com. Hey all, thanks for listening to the episode. I really appreciate the support and especially always love when people reach out letting me know what they think about the specific episodes. If you want to go deeper into Pathless Path World, you can of course check out my book. It's sold. It's going to hit 50,000 soon. I think by the time you're hearing this, it will probably have already sold 50,000, which is mind-blowing. But I continue all the support of people that buy and share the book. If you want to meet others on Pathless Paths, I have a community which you can find at pathlesspath.com slash membership and you can join and meet hundreds of others around the world trying to make sense of weird paths and meeting others along the way. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good day.